Welcome to Arts Alive, focusing on the working artists of California's Central Coast. I'm your host, Brian Asher Alhadif. Joining us in the studio today is Drew Silvaggio. He owns the Academy of Dance and is the artistic director of the Civic Ballet of San Luis Obispo. Drew is thrilled to make his living on the Central Coast as a choreographer and dance instructor. Welcome to the studio, Drew. It's great to have you here. Start off with letting us know about your journey in the Central Coast. Yeah, well, uh, I was born here in 1979, and then um, I went to elementary school here, high school here, and then uh, I left and went to Philadelphia to pursue my Bachelor of Fine Arts in musical theater. Um, and then after uh, getting my degree in Philadelphia, uh, I moved to New York City for a while because that's what people do. Um, and then I uh, sadly injured my myself pretty badly and um, uh, came home. And uh, I thought it was only going to be a brief couple months as a, I recovered from my back injury. I was walker bound, wow. which is super fun. Um, and then uh, kind of, I guess, I, I kind of, I feel like I was in San Luis when there was a, we call it kind of the changing of the guard. And it's kind of when the the older dance makers were trying to find their way, <laughs> to find their way out of the business. Mm -hmm. And um, at that time, kind of being in San Luis, um, as the older dance makers were kind of leaving the area or just moving on, as you know, dance is extremely physical. And, um, you know, you reach a certain age and you're kind of, you know, no longer uh, enjoying what you're doing. <laughs> I'm kind of feeling that way. No. Um, and um, I think I was just in San Luis at the right point injured. And I kind of just started falling into all these opportunities. Um, one being obviously with the Civic Ballet of San Luis Obispo, which is the company my mother started, which that was easy because, you know, she's my mom. So, <laughs> um, but even things with, <clears throat> Now it's a uh, slow repertory theater, but uh, it was slow little theater back at the time. Um, the the melodrama here on the Central Coast, and finally the opera San Luis Obispo, which I'm so happy to be a part of. Um, so all those kind of things kind of kind of converged on me at once, and um, even creating my own work that was uh, by itself uh, away from the company. Um, I started a, a ballet company for a very short time called All Things Dance Company, oh. and that was really cool. We were able to produce a couple shows uh, in the slow rep space, which is kind of a perfect space for a little kind of uh, black dance. box dance. Black box dance, yeah, you know how it goes. Um, but then once once the work of of the main company, the Civic Ballet, and then also all the other opportunities that I had kind of took over my plate, I kind of had to let that one go, and I'm okay with it. Right, right. <laughs> and with and so in that sort of explanation that you gave us, it just really reminded me of the the diversity and expanse of what being a dancer is, a dancer slash choreographer. There's a lot of creativity, a lot of different environments that you're asked to create in. How do you manage that? How do you go into an environment and sort of take everything that you are and apply it to your creative work when do you know it's ready to share with the public? Um, that's a great question. Uh you know, I don't think any of those those questions come into my mind when I'm creating anything. Um, you know, I like I mentioned, I'd gone to uh, University of the Arts in Philadelphia, and 
probably the one thing that I could take away from that experience, the one thing, I mean, it was the best thing I ever did, but um, one of the things that I can take away from that experience is the, is the, um, the idea that you just must follow your impulse, (laughs) good or bad, follow your impulses um, because that's what you're, that's what you thought about it at the beginning and that's what you know arts are one of those things it's just it just comes from your body and your mind um so i just i literally i i don't ever take into account how i guess what i'm producing how it's going to land which maybe i should more maybe there'd be more seats taken um really i i think about you know, what I want to produce and and what kind of work I want to make. And um, certainly in the way that I make it, how I present it, I I probably take into account how an audience is going to feel about it um, just by how I'm doing it. But as far as what it is, um, that's just following your impulses. And and it's for better and for worse. Obviously, I've failed or quote unquote failed um i don't think necessarily there is a failure in art if you produce something you produce something it's almost a miracle absolutely um so i don't think it's it's uh i don't think that question comes into my mind um i think that i just i i kind of pick something and it can be me sitting at two in the morning by myself watching a tv show and it reminds me of something and then i go oh my gosh that's it um so so yeah I don't really worry about that obviously with dance it's a discipline and it's you know it has to be choreographed it has to be quote-unquote mastered um and you know when I when I feel like it's done it's done um but I will also say creating art on the central coast is also um you have a lot of deadlines and they're real deadlines <laughs> meaning I was thinking the same thing you know it's like oh wouldn't it be great to sit with a piece for six months and just decide oh yeah I want to <laughs> produce this oh no I don't that's the thing about the arts is you you know you promote these pieces they you have a all, 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 and as you know the um performance venues are impacted here in the in this on the central coast so you know, you jockey for position of when you want to present things, and then you better have a show ready when your time right. comes and up. When we start to produce a show, you're given a time limit. <clears throat> exactly. Uh, you're going to start here and or wherever and you're, you're going to start, end but here, it's going right. to be done here. So in many respects, we're uh, sort of governed as to when our creativity must be complete. 100%. And actually, if, you know, I'm on a personal note, I'm super thankful that I am because I am the type of person who would just, you know, maybe chip away at it piece by piece. I know I'm starting a show when I create a rehearsal schedule or when I get a rehearsal schedule and I'm super thankful for a rehearsal schedule because it holds me accountable to say, okay, it's time to, it's time to do work. That sort Um, of brings up an interesting question. When do you know a job starts? Because sometimes it's not just that phone call. I mean, we have a lot of times when maybe you've experienced this, somebody offers you a gig and then two weeks later, oh, we lost funding. It's not going to happen. When do you fully feel as though a job has begun? Well, you know, when I'm working for another organization, like if I'm looking for slow rep or if I'm working for the opera or the melodrama, um, I know when I get that rehearsal schedule, <laughs> that rehearsal schedule. <laughs> um, honestly, it's it's, you know, because that's going to be, you know, that's going into the office. And sometimes um, that rehearsal, in fact, almost always that rehearsal schedule comes after the contract is signed. <laughs> certainly. And, you know, also it's not uncommon for me to have three or four rehearsals from different organizations, and you know this well, um, different things happening at the same time. Um, but as far as me and my organization, the Civic Ballet of San Luis Obispo or the Academy of Dance, 
um, you know, the show starts when I'm in the studio with dancers. And because um, I could take, you know, months and months. I was actually sadly created a show called um, The Scarlet Ibis, which uh, some people might know it's based on a short story by the- I think the, I remember that. Yeah, so I was creating the show and, and that's one of those shows where, you know, it's a, it's a short story and I was interpreting it into a ballet, uh, a contemporary ballet to be more specific. And um, I could have I could have just sat, you know, somewhere on the beach and thought about how I was gonna do that for, for months and months and months, but that's just not how it works. Um, you have to release that rehearsal schedule. You have to get in the studio at some point. Um, and, and you kind of just, sometimes you make concessions and like, oh, this is gonna happen like this now because I can't do it like this. And so that's when it happens. T talk to us a little bit about society, culture, and historical context. How, those, how do you juggle those as a, as, your, as a creative, as a choreographer, as a dancer? How do you address society, culture, and historical context as an artist? Well, I think that's, you know, I think that's everything. I mean, I think that that everything I do is that. Um, you know, I, I think I'm a little different where I'm not like the choreographer who likes to reset pieces that were made in the 1800s. You know, I'm not, I'm not, my, not, my favorite thing is not to cre recreate ballets that have been done. And I think that by, um, kind of keeping my ear to the planet and the world and how things are going in the society and culture. Um, I like to produce shows that are at, in, in some vein poignant to what's going on today, what's going on right now. Um, you know, I even think about uh, one of my favorite shows I've ever created was, um, I mean, I didn't create The Crucible, but <laughs> I adapted it <laughs> right. to to a ballet. And, you know, the, the whole vein of, you know, the, how the the Salem witch trials was you know the same thing that was going on with you know the Red Scare in America and drawing that parallel was super fun to me and, and interesting and it kind of lent a lot of um, a lot of interesting things I could do on stage like uh, video work you know of found footage from that time not from the Salem witch trials but the <laughs> Red Scare <laughs> um, so you know that's that's a huge part even Rodeo you know kind of playing into this this idea that you know these women want to change themselves to make themselves you know the most attractive they can be to to their man mm -hmm. um and you know and, and what is that is that losing your identity is that you know so i i always try to keep you know that i i don't want to create a show that's not relevant culturally um and, and i just feel like it's more important for the audience to see that um, to see how relevant it can be in in today's society. That's great, and I've, I'm lucky to, that I've had the opportunity to see both the road, your Rodeo and the Crucible. Oh, you have? I, of course I Did have. Did you like it? In fact, I think I saw the Crucible multiple times because you uh, brought that back after Yeah, uh, I did that. Premiere. I've done that about three times, three years. And I think I believe I've seen uh, uh, Rodeo. Rodeo multiple times as well. And one thing that always is intriguing to me about your works, I feel like when I see, well, obviously when I experience the Crucible and Rodeo, that is... 100% Drew's creativity. There's no director. <laughs> you're not working for another company that's giving no, you stipulations. Right. Yeah. That truly is your free ability to, to, As a to bird, produce. baby. And you bring in a lot of technology and keep I do. things. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship <clears throat> to technology, how that's evolved? Yeah, well, you know, I think it, it kind of goes back to when you were asking about, you know, 
when do I know it's ready for the audience? And, and like I said, when I pick a piece, I'm not very interested in what the audience wants to see. I just don't think that's soup. I think that's kind of our job as artists is to actually show them what they want to see because people don't know, you know, how could they know what they want to see from a, a, an original piece of work? Um, they know they want to see dance. Right. They know they want to see dance. So, you know, but what, you know, how uh, how could someone make the perfect ballet for them? They don't know that because they're not choreographers. They haven't trained in dance. Um, so, like I said, I don't I don't I don't ask for a show of hands when I say I'm going to do this project. But when I do the project, the way I present the project, I do think about the audience and how it lands. And um, and I think that's why I use technology so much is because. I feel like it's a shortcut to accessibility for some audience members who maybe do not quote unquote like dance or maybe they were dragged to the theater by their wife or husband. Um, and I can show them this story in a way that makes it interesting to them. Um, so I, I use a lot of technology. I use a lot of video work. I use, uh, obviously lighting is important. I, I really tend to go crazy with lighting music, the music choices I make for the, uh, my original pieces. Um, they're all kind of set up to attract people that maybe don't think that they like dance. So then what happens when you're sort of removed from this from this boundaryless almost boundaryless uh, uh for a uh, studio for creation and somebody like me comes around and we're doing oklahoma yeah and all of a sudden there are all these expectations and boundaries how do you shift is that a painful process or is it just a no it's not pa- I, you know honestly i i relish in it um because it, it that's and and this is i hope not offensive to anybody um but to me, that's a lot easier, <laughs> you know, when you when you put parameters around what I'm supposed to be doing, I know exactly what I need to give. Um, whereas when I create my own original work, it's it's so much of just like free flowing. Hey, this is oh, yeah, this is how I can tell that story. This is, you know, when you do Oklahoma, you know what you need to show. Um, so actually, you know, as long as well, and also i I direct one of the most <laughs> cherished holiday traditions on the Central Coast, the Nutcracker, um, and talk about boundaries. Right. Um, However, so, even within that, uh, within your Nutcracker, it's still so not traditional in many correct. ways. Correct. Yeah, and I think that that's the to keep it to keep it fun and relevant for myself. I have to find those places that I can deviate a little bit, but not so much that you lose that you lose the nutcracker, you know, it's still there. It's somewhere there. Um, but so when you produce a show like that every single year, and now I'm going on 16, well, hopefully this year, 16 years of doing it myself, um, to go from there, I need that artistic, uh, explosion to happen in the spring where I can really take off all the, the, the boundaries and barriers and kind of go with, my gut go with my impulse right right and nutcracker is is sort of a really uh uh important subject with regards to civic ballet san luis obispo and your history yeah um that certainly is probably how most people in the central coast uh, have a relationship with uh, civic ballet they know about your nutcracker they know Correct. about your mom's nutcracker yeah. and 
Uh, what's it been like to sort of grow up with that massive structure in your world from 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 birth? Essentially, every December you've got a guaranteed massive production that has mm-hmm. been part of your family. And yeah, what does that mean? Well, I certainly know how the Kennedys feel. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, um, no. I mean, you're right, a hundred percent. So many, you know, I remember as a child growing up, so many of the of the activities around December are were around this production of Nutcracker from you know we used to have to sell tickets at the dance shop down down on a uh, Morrow Street I believe it is um, in San Luis Obispo and one of the things my family liked to do was that the day the tickets went on sale we would all jump in the car and we'd drive down to Morrow Street and we'd see the line of people that would wrap around the block um, because at that time we were using the Spanos, now Spanos Theater. It used to just be the Cal Poly Theater. Um, and we only had five tickets, well, 468 tickets a show. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we would just, we would, my, mo- my mother would drive us all down and we'd watch this line of people form and then one by one go and purchase tickets. And it, I think maybe for my mother it was also kind of like a <laughs> it's ready to start moment. <laughs> I think it's, you know, that um, I know for me when I see my tickets go on sale online, I go, oh God, I better make something now. <laughs> um, so that in like holidays, I mean, literally since I was born, we just didn't have, I, I just don't know what a normal holiday season is even through Thanksgiving we you know there's been there's been years where my mother has worked the day after and the day before and and had dancers in rehearsals Mm -hmm. for the Nutcracker so it's been you know I I don't know I don't know anything else I don't know how it is I don't know how it is normally and uh, that's not to say oh we were so sad children we didn't have any celebrations we of course did um but um but yeah our around this time and maybe this is the first year during this pandemic that I literally am not going to have to I mean not have to I love to do it but um not have my September October November December completely full with things that I have to do for Nutcracker and you know I mean we'll certainly talk a little bit more about what's happening particularly this year. Oh, looking uh, forward to it. Sometimes it's okay to put things on the shelf and let them generate a little bit of dust and also, uh, uh, what do we call it when people are looking... what do you call that when you're getting getting hopeful for it to, for its return? Oh my God, we didn't have a Nutcracker this year. The anticipation. The anticipation. Thank you. No very anticipation. Much. <laughs> Dissipation. This is the County Board of Education, Brian. No. I know. My goodness. <laughs> um, and and I think it's 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 really interesting um, to to just to know that for me as a musician, there is not one staple in my life. I mean, granted, of course, it's now it's Nutcracker every December, but that could change at any moment, and it certainly hasn't been that way. And uh, there isn't a, a, a sort of a sun that my company or my work gravitates around so right, much so right. as, as yours does. And, mm-hmm. I, and that's probably true for a lot of musicians that we're, uh, we don't often have those uh, reoccurring uh, – uh, uh, sometimes we do, but not all the time. Right. What would you, uh, for, for the community of dancers and potential choreographers, what would you say to that group that, that is aspiring to have a career in dance? and maybe even looking to you particularly as a role model. What's important? Don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. No, don't do it. Um, no, I'm joking. Uh, no, I'm only half joking. Um, 
Because if they do it, then I'll probably be out of a job because I'm <laughs> sure there's so many more talented people. Um, no, I mean, I mean, again, going back to what I learned from my four years of an $80,000 in musical theater education, follow your impulse. And your you know, impulse was musical theater at first, right? You know, I, I loved acting. I loved dancing. And I, um, I, had, I had kind of come into singing later on in life. And um, and I loved I I knew I always loved dance. Obviously, I didn't have the body type of this like atypical ballerina, you know, or premier danseur is the male version of ballerina. Um, but I still knew I wanted to do something in the performing arts, and I thought musical theater was a, a brilliant fit. Um, but yeah, I mean, to say, you know, for aspiring choreographers or dancers, I mean certainly do it um keep your eyes open you know a lot of like i said my work is is a direct reflection of what is going on in society and um you know i always think about that people sometimes ask oh like what's your choreographic like uh, inspiration like who do you really like who do you model your work after and I really don't say choreographers. I say, you know, Aaron Sorkin, David Mamet. You know, these are playwrights and screenwrites, directors. Because um, those, I, I love the way that they tell a story. So if you want to tell a story, if you want to create work, then you should do it. Um, but it's not simply about standing at a bar and, and pointing your foot really nicely. And that means you would be good at it. Um, you have to really keep keep an open mind and um that's what dance is is telling a story well, coming through from, movement yeah uh, that no that that sounds very uh impactful and uh makes me think of my own sort of experience coming from the world of instrumental musicians uh and, and you know a pianist and as a young person there's something innately inside of us that has to create and many times I find myself uh, speaking with others and we, ha we find a common ground in, in, in the description that this in many, this really isn't our choice. We have to do what we're doing. And so if you find yourself in a situation where you're an artist, you're a dancer, you're a musician, you're a singer, and you have to do what you're doing, then you have to engage that future. I, I, I totally agree and I totally disagree. <laughs> you know, um, Maybe the thing that people don't understand about dance or theater or anything is, you know, I've been dancing since I was five. Like, I have education in dance. It's super easy to wake up in the morning and go, I just have to dance. But I don't want to be in dance class. I don't want to take any history classes. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do any, but I just have to dance. It's like, okay, but like, you get that like, dances all of this like what you see in the theater it's like that picture of the iceberg where it's like most of the iceberg is under the water that you right. don't see and that's <laughs> education that's you know being curious about the world that's you know natural talent that's all these things equity in the theater exactly and then you see the top and that's kind of the performance that people see and they go oh i just have to do that right well you also have to do all of this other stuff even when I was auditioning for shows in New York City, it was it was funny because you would take they had this saying. It's like you. So there's 100 people at the audition. You cut half of them right away because those are people that just woke up that morning and said, I want to be on Broadway. They have no education. They have no formal training. They have no talent. They just came because they want to do that. Then you take 25, 25 more people away because 
they're just not the right type for this character, this role. Da, da, da. Then you take 12 away because, and it goes on and on and on. But um, so, so I guess going back to what you were saying, I just, I have to do this. I have to, this is, this is my lifeblood. I've run into people like that who have not had a successful world, like life in the theater. And it's because they weren't willing to do all this other stuff. And that other stuff is, is super important. So like if, if you suggested, you know, what would you say to someone who, who wanted to be in the arts, learn everything stay in school learn about history I, one of the best classes I took in college that probably has like I've brought out more in choreography than I'd even like to admit is a I took a three hour every or three hour every or twice a week uh arts of India class wow. and um and of course you sign up for these classes because it, it feels like it's it's you know fulfilling some sort of thing that you have to do to get your degree but all of a sudden I'm like pulling out stuff from this class and like how important that class has been to me is in my choreographic journey is is amazing so my suggestion to to be would be to be educated <laughs> to take all the classes to to travel to see things to watch whatever tv show movie ballet obviously um and be curious about it. And something I always urge my students, sometimes we go to shows together, my students and I, or even I have obviously older dancers in my company who are, you know, in their 30s. And we'll go and see a show and they'll say, oh, I really liked it. And I, I have to take a beat and say, okay, but what did you like about it? Well, I don't know. I just really liked it. Well, okay, but like, how is that going to help anybody? You know, like, what did you like about the performance? Um, and so those kind of questions are, are things I would suggest if anyone's listening to this and wanting to be a part of the arts. Those are the questions you have to answer. When you go to a show, what do you like about the show? Why do you like it about the show? Um, it can't just simply be, oh, yeah, that was neat, you know, because I can say that about anything. A common uh, thread that's happened in our podcast so far is the topic of audition. And everybody has a different perspective on what that word means and the okay. emotions that surround it what does it mean what does audition mean in your world as a choreographer as a, a company owner as a, a a teacher what do you what what are uh what do you need to impart to your uh to your tribe about the audition do's and don'ts general feelings that's a good question <laughs> um and, and of course, we've sat on many auditions together. Yes, no, you know, and you know, and, I'll I'll say this: if you show up to the audition, I I assume things about you already. Right. Like if you show up to a dance audition, I assume that you know how to dance. That's that's hopefully a given, and obviously we'll be able to tell very quickly. If we've learned know. that there's a lot of people that <laughs> think they can dance. Those right? people woke up and said, "I just have to dance," and yeah. it's like, no, you have to educate yourself and then come back and dance. Um, so I so certainly. I, I assume that with these people that walk through my audition, um, what I use auditions for, and, and probably people will disagree with me. I know that whoever I hire for the company or this job or whatever, um, I'm going to have to spend some time with, I'm going to have to be with them for a while. And, um, in the room, like sometimes six hours with 15 minute breaks every two hours. Um, I want when I go in an audition, what an audition means to me is I want to get to know the person. Am I going to be able to work with this person for six weeks or four weeks or three months? That's kind of 
that's kind of the most important thing at an audition for me because if they're there i assume that they know how to dance already so obviously i just want to know what type of person they are because that ch changes a lot of the environment as far i don't know if you've had experiences in rehearsals where you're like oh god i really wish this person wasn't in the show because they just bring the whole energy of the place down you know they come in and they've had a bad day and um i want to make sure everybody's it, i guess audition replaced with tryout i mean it could be just like any other team like I want people on my team who are going to work for this goal Bravo. and who are going to make who are going to make this happen. Um, and and again, like I said, I assume that they that they dance at a certain level because they're there. Right. Um, so that's not really my worry. My worry is that I'm going to add someone into this production that's going to make the production sing and, and not sink us. It's going to actually make it better. Sink or sing. <laughs> and I want people who are brave and I want people who risk um, because that's a lot of my work is you have to be brave. I, I always say um, brave in life is brave in performance. Um, I want people that are go getters um, that can go out there. I mean, these dancers go out on stage with next to nothing on and they have to do these crazy movements and, you know, in front of sometimes 1300 people. So I want brave people who who all who buy in, buy into the the experience. So definitely one thing that you're looking for in an audition is confidence. Yeah, confidence, bravery. Sure, sure confidence, but again, before that, I want to make sure I can work with this person for 6 weeks. Yeah, it and seems like not one, get annoyed with them. One of the <laughs> uh uh the issues of course is w once we we bridge that that basic talent level right. you know <laughs> then we have to really assess is this person going to be an asset to the team uh and there's some risk in that sometimes have you have you noticed some sort of common things during the audition that you've remember oh i gotta remember that next time i do i do an audition if someone does this that's a real flag right there or um, no, again, you know, an audition, an, an audition could be an hour and a half. You're not going to gleam that much information. Now, as far as like, once you work with the person and you've been in the trenches with them and you go, oh, I remember when that person did that, I probably won't be asking that person back to do anything. <laughs> yeah. um, that's probably more where the education takes place, where I can kind of sense, okay, this is how this person works. Um, boy, was I off. He shouldn't, she shouldn't have been. Any, uh, anywhere near this production <laughs> right. um, but no as far as the audition I, I that's the thing you're seeing people from all over the spectrum and you just do your best to make educated decisions on on what kind of thing you like to, what kind of people you like to work with talk to us a little bit how your creativity your river of creativity has had to take a shift during COVID-19 what have you uh, noticed that has been new and how have you transitioned and evolved? Yeah. Well, you know, my river of creativity has turned into a trickle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a babbling brook. Um, no, you know, I think that, I think it's important during this time to remember that this is, and I know everybody keeps saying it, but it's unprecedented. This, this moment in history. I mean, we've never been through a plate, a time like this. You know, I haven't, uh, and I think that um, kind of like what you're talking about, about shelving things, I think that's kind of important for the greater good 
was just to understand like, hey, you know what we need to do? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> we need to do what everybody should be doing um, and and hibernate for a while. Is that okay? I think it's okay. I think hyper. I mean, I think everybody, literally everybody around the world is dealing with this. So I think that they would understand if a ballet company is not going to be producing, you know, a full performance for an empty theater for Zoom. I just, I, I just detest that. Um, so I think that, you know, as as far as my organization, we just hibernate. We have to hibernate. There's right. nothing. We can't do anything. Um, and to produce anything not full heart, full pound forward, um, isn't is an injustice to our to our customers. We we do live ballets, um, so we have to get back to that at some point. As far as me creatively, in this time, I found that this time is is beneficial because it's the first time in my life that I don't have to be creative. <laughs> um, this is this is something for me that's been kind of awesome at age 40 um who's literally been who's done productions since i was eight years old during these times just constantly either directing dancing doing musical theater um to have a four month going on five month span of actually producing nothing i feel really bad saying it because i feel like everybody will think oh drew doesn't like that stuff um i love (laughs) stuff um but having a break is really awesome it's important (laughs) it's and it's and it's a break i don't take because on the central coast if you're lucky enough to work as much as i do which is to the tune of about 13 shows a year which is a lot of shows there's 12 months so if you're doing 13 shows um to have a moment in time when you reach your 40s um and for the first time are just you're just not producing anything it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting the kind of things I like going being able to go to dinner with friends at 6 p.m. I mean not going out to dinner but that's been very interesting because that's not something I would tip I usually I'd go from 10 in the morning till 10 30 at night and that's just my life Monday through Friday and then Saturdays um so to have this time of like oh this is what quote-unquote normal people do um it's been interesting like I like I told you, I'm making a, a new model train. It's mm-hmm. going to be in a trunk. It's going to be beautiful. Oh, that's fantastic. It's a snow village. Are there any other ways that you're sort of blossoming that would normally not be allowed to happen because you're so busy with a sh- more than one show a month? I mean, honestly, like personally, personally, like with developing relationships and, and, and having friendships, it sounds so stupid, but my friends kind of know and my family knows that like, okay, between these months, Drew is not going to be available until after 11 or 10 30 PM or 11 PM at night. And, you know, to, to kind of see what this world is like without that kind of schedule is, is, is pretty brilliant. Life is really good. And I have really great people around me. <laughs> I just never get to really s- see it. <laughs> so. And just out of curiosity, do you feel as though what's what is what's happening inside of you right now that is waiting to be unleashed when we do return after this break? What's what is this break giving you that you feel like, wow, I'm going to bring that into art when we're back? Um, yeah, I mean, I get it. I get what you're asking. I understand. Um, 
I mean, I don't even know if I know that answer for myself. No, yet, I don't think that it's like I don't think it's a thing. Like, I even people jokingly write me emails and they're like, "I can't wait till we're back. I can't wait to see what your COVID ballet is gonna be." And I'm like, I, "I'm not. I don't want to make a ballet about COVID, <laughs> so it won't be that <laughs> um, <laughs> a COVID ballet." Um, you know, honestly. I'm just, I'm going to do what I always do. And that's bring my heart, bring my intensity, bring my, you know, education to, to every project from now, you know, from after this to beyond, I'm not going to do anything different. It's not like I have this balled up artistic energy ready to explode. Like that's just what I do. And that's kind of been a thing about being in the arts too, that people kind of should know. Um, and something that I've kind of learned about myself, so much of my identity is based on what I do for a living. And I don't think that's a good thing. <laughs> I don't think that you can be, you know, when I walk into a, a space, sometimes I get people, which just happened the other day. I walked into Blaze and got a pizza, which I've never done before. It's super fantastic. <laughs> um, and everybody's wearing these masks. And this woman came up to me and was like, oh, my God, Drew, it's so great to see you here. And I... I just don't, I didn't know who she was. I just didn't know. And it's not in a rude way. She was wearing a mask. I couldn't see her. I'm not going to tell her to take off her mask. Sure. Um, and she had her son with her and she's like, that's the guy who dances. That's the guy who makes Nutcracker. That's the guy. Aww. And it was like, in like you say, oh, like it's a sweet thing. Um, but that's, there's I more don't to know. you than the yeah, guy who makes I think Nutcracker. That, and I think that that's kind of a problem with everybody's job is we find so much identity in what we do and what we do for a living is so important to, Oh, this is so-and-so he's a lawyer or this is so-and-so she, she runs a small, you know, wedding chapel. Um, I think if anything, this kind of pandemic has peeled away all those things. And it's like, Oh, this is drew. He's a person, you know? Um, so it's been an interesting shift in me. I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that your, I don't think that your personality traits or your, your livelihood should be balled up into just what you do for a living. Mm -hmm. I think it can be about other things. Great. That's wonderful. Drew, thank you so much for your insights and for getting us through this time and telling us about a little bit more about your world. And we look forward to seeing more of you, Civic Ballet, San Luis Obispo in a live stage. Thanks for having me. If you found this content insightful, please subscribe and review on your preferred podcast platform. Funded by the Arts Collaborative, this podcast was produced on-site at the studios of the San Luis Obispo County Office of Education. For more information, visit us at www.slocoarch.org. That's S-L-O-C-O-E-A-R-T-S dot org.